Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf. This week I'm bringing you a conversation I had a couple of months ago with the writer Madeline Dore. You may recognise Madeline's name because I talked about her book, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, brilliantly titled book, earlier this year, which when it was out, January 2022. I originally published this episode as a bonus piece of content for my Patreon members when I was running my Patreon membership uh, earlier this year. But as I am away for a couple of weeks, I am sharing this conversation with you today on the main podcast. So let's get into it, this conversation with the wonderful Madeline Dorr. Welcome, Madeline. Thanks so much, Steph. It's a pleasure to chat with you about reading and writing and all those things. (laughs) Ah, it's going to be good. I've got several questions planned for you. The first question I'd love to know, though, is how do you describe what you do to people who you bump into at, well, I'd say at a party, maybe less so at the moment, but maybe, you know, in the shopping shopping queue, <laughs> you go to the supermarket, which is kind of what we can do at the moment. Yes. Or maybe even just your, your dating profile descript, describe oh, yeah. <laughs> description, <laughs> yeah. I should say. Um, I, I just say writer. I think I've said writer for a few years now um, because that does encompass a lot of the different projects that I do still have a central writing theme and then if people are curious they might know they might want to ask what it is exactly that I write and that's where it can kind of become a little bit more nebulous and I can I never know what angle to take there because it could be talking about my freelance writing it could be talking about content writing uh, and now it can be talking about book writing (laughs) Um, even things like podcasting I think it, it, it all falls under a writing umbrella it just is a different medium um, but it, it's interesting because I think that that question for many many years it, it does make me feel slightly nervous and self-conscious because I think that there's a lot of intrigue about being a writer but it's not necessarily that interesting to speak about and often when I'm asking someone that question the most interesting people I think are those it's it's sort of not so much what they do but how they talk about what they do and that's Mm. so so much more captivating so I think that sometimes writing can it's almost a bit stifling to talk about because it doesn't have that that vibrancy necessarily because it's very solitary and uh reflective and and that kind of thing so yeah sometimes it's just tempting to want to make something else up entirely Mm. (laughs) I had a friend that used to do that when we used to go out on nights out several years ago now and he used to pretend he worked in a supermarket because he just didn't want to tell people he was an accountant at the time yeah (laughs) and I love like we've all been there exactly I think I might go with the supermarket one because it's I used to work in a supermarket as a teenager and it was just something so meditative about swiping the groceries. So yeah, you can style out the lie as well if you've got an element of it being an element of truth in there as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I do like that you you hook people in, you know, as a true writer would, you kind of give, give them the headline of writer to pique their curiosity and kind of get that most in real life clickbait from them where they go, oh, tell me more. So um, <laughs> props, props to that. And in terms of then, so you talk a lot about actually that, that question of, of what do we do or what do you do in, in your book actually as well. Uh, I didn't do the thing today. We talk about productivity guilt. Do you, do you still ask that question? Do you still find yourself asking the what do you do question, even though in your heart you know that actually we, aren't, we are not what we do and we're, we're more than that. We're, we're, we contain multitudes. Mm, yes. Well, I, I try to be very conscious of trying to delay that question for as long as possible, especially when meeting someone new, because it, it can become quite rote. Um, you're just kind of exchanging CVs and there's something a little bit, I don't know, dull mm. <laughs> about that. Like it doesn't actually tell you who someone is. So obviously with COVID the last couple of years, it's been there's been 
opportunities to meet new people have been fewer. <laughs> um, so I haven't been able to put it into practice as much, but I do try to be conscious and delay that question for as long as possible. And even I suppose an extension of that is I've tried to avoid asking people how they are, because I think that that can be in a similar way quite narrowing. So people can just say, I'm good, I'm going okay. And it doesn't actually give you a true indication of how someone is going in their days. And so I think I've I've reframed the question to be, what are your days looking like at the moment? Mm. And it actually, it's it's a broadening so that people can speak about what's happening as a um, a way to then speak perhaps about how they're feeling about certain things. And so I think that those kind of questions can be a bit more broadening when you're meeting someone for the first time too. So it's what do your days look like rather than like what do you do in your days necessarily? Like what's your job title? It's more like what are the things that you explore and do and learn and um, that can be a bit more enriching I think. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, and those are definitely some questions I want to get into more the the practice and the habit of using as well as I, we can hopefully get back out and and explore new things and meet new people as well. Yes, yeah. One of the questions I really wanted to ask you and wanted to ask you for a while probably actually is what role has or does reading play or has it played previously or does it still play in your life? And maybe, you know, it's the second part of that. Has that changed since actually writing a book yourself? Hmm. Uh, so reading is central in that everything everything comes from one one form of of reading. I think I think it's well actually maybe to reframe it. I think that words are central, um, mm. and I think I've always been drawn to words. And even when I was sort of, I think it was eight, I got my first um, collection of quotation books given to me by my parents and so it was one of those you know those dictionaries of quotations and I used to be obsessed with poring over those and would collect those quotation books and so even though it's not necessarily a novel or or a text I would just pour over quotes and quotes and quotes and I had sort of an Oscar Wilde quotation book and I so I was quite obsessed with words and even the dictionary and so I think that for me it's there's there's a curiosity in in the the wisdom of words is something I've always been drawn to, and that has expanded to nonfiction texts that I'm really drawn to, and poetry and fiction, and and yeah. So I think that's always been a central role to absorb words and then to also write words, and that role has been consistent. I think I'm I'm still very drawn to quotations. Mm. Now I collect them from you know, newsletters and Instagram and articles and books and things, um, not just the, the the hard copies. And I think that with writing a book, which I did predominantly last year, that very much changed the process from from absorbing to kind of more filing through an archive of what I've already absorbed and collected. And so it was it was a quite a conscious pause on taking in any new books. So it was probably the last year and a bit has been, I, I really sort of haven't been re- reading any new material necessarily because it really was about trying to hear my own thoughts and mm. distill the own lessons from an archive of interviews and quotes and words and themes that I had been collecting for over half a decade. So it was it was an inter- interesting switch to make with the actual writing. It was a, a conscious stopping of the input so that I could do the output. 
That's really interesting. And, and you're not the first person to tell me that when they've been writing, they've had to stop taking in, particularly of a mm. similar type of genre. They might have skipped and gone to real, you know, fantasy fiction or something like that, more mm. as a, a bit of escapism rather than taking an in input that actually almost has to sit and be stored, like you say, in, in their brain alongside what they're trying to not just write, but think about as, as you say as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's hard to do both simultaneously. Yeah. And one of the things I always have really admired about your writing in your newsletter, but then in, also in the book as well, is is the breadth of references you bring in, everything like you say, from Oscar Wilde through to films and classic literature and other books, fiction, nonfiction, and of course, journalistic, more interviews and articles that you've read as well. Is this all from things you have read or or is it something that you actually went and sought out to fit into or to almost fill some some words or some thoughts that you were coming up with yourself as well? Mm, that's a good question because I think it's it's a little bit of both, but I would say that it's mostly already collected and then the article forms from that collection. Mm. And I've recently become a little bit more organised with that collection of ideas. But before that, it really was starting to compile things in a in a journal or just a, a word document where I would start to or even just my brain really so I'd start to I'd, I'd be thinking about something and it, I suppose it's true of many things like once you start putting your attention to something then you're fed more of that thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so an, an article often for a newsletter in particular will be something that I'm personally wrestling with and because I'm wrestling with it I start to sort of bump into different quotes or I am drawn to the, something in a book that I might be reading that fits feeds back into that idea, or it could even be something a friend says, or I could remember a scene from a film that's relevant. And so it's all sort of there, and then it's about starting to form those connections, and then often those connections are made in the actual writing process, and the writing process is me untangling that that quandary that I have myself. So that was probably just the in my brain version of it, and now. Well, since writing the book, actually, I I did a bit of work for a company called Millinote. It's a Melbourne startup. Mm. It's a web-based tool that's kind of like Evernote meets Trello and really powerful for the book writing process in terms of being able to organise all of my archive into chapters, essentially, and be able to kind of pull together all the research. And, and then once I had that, I was able to export that chapter as a word document and start writing so I didn't have the fear of the blank page because all of my archive material was there and I love that process so then I've extended that I've just got to if you if people aren't familiar with Millinote it's it's worth sort of checking out I I don't work for them anymore so it's not like a (laughs) sponsored thing I just love it for my brain but that you create a board and so now I've got just an ideas board and then you create boards within the board and so once I start to encounter a theme within myself or now even if I'm drawn to something I start to think where does that fit and now I've got all these articles sort of starting to form in these little boards in Millinote and I just start pulling in material that I'm finding so be that quotes or other articles or research or ideas or films and so it's a little bit more solid there but now I'm finding that they're just building up and I'm not actually I've got too many like to mm. even I've got, probably got two years worth of articles to write now because I just keep (laughs) siphoning off these things into boards and so yeah I I think I have quite a slow writing process because I'm I'm used to just letting these ideas I don't know swim around in my brain for a little bit and that's where 
that's why I'm able to kind of come up with these resources because they're all just kind of connecting to each other in my head. That's really exciting because I was going to ask the the gory details and how you collated those. So before you were using Millanotes, what did you, you said you mentioned Word documents and journals and things. How did you, I suppose, tag those things so they were easily findable for anyone who maybe isn't up for setting up a, an online system for their, their curated stuff? Mm, well, the dull and honest answer is that I just didn't. <laughs> like It's just kind of, I guess the tagging is kind of just in my brain. Again, because I'm sitting with something for so long, it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be tagged because it's it's the, the theme I'm sitting with for that mm. time. And so I'm just letting it, it build up. I suppose I repeat myself a lot in different articles because it's it's me still overturning this this theme and, and it's thinking oh actually I've still got more of that to keep mm. going and I miss this or now I've got this new take on it I think I've been, for for almost two years now I've been really quite obsessed with this idea this theme of letting go and so that keeps coming back around and there's more things that I'm folding into that and so yeah th- there's not much tagging and then when I've turned to systems and even something analog like having index cards and filing them away I just find that I don't keep up with the system and mm. so then I feel guilty for not keeping up with the system and then I feel even more disorganised than when I just had things sort of in my mind or scattered in different journals. And so I've, I've come to kind of em- embrace that a little bit more and the best thing I heard about email management, and it kind of ties into this, is that, you know, you could spend a lot of time categorising and tagging your emails and, you know, putting them into folders and that kind of thing and then when you need to find the thing anyway, you're just going to go into the search bar to look up mm. the email. So it's like, yep. why bother with yep. all that? Just go to the search bar. And yep. so I've kind I'm, of got I'm, that. That's definitely where I have, I abandoned inbox zero and stuff like that, <laughs> or in file, uh, file, filing everything several years ago for that exact reason. Yes, exactly. So I think it's the same with these ideas. If it's important, I'll remember to put it in the article because it's part of me, I suppose. Mm. Like it's part of the thinking process. Or, you know, if I skip it, then I'll, I'll, I'll cycle back around to it in some other form, I'm sure. So yeah, the, the, the Miller note for me has just been a really great way to store the archive stuff rather than tag necessarily Mm. and if I need to find something you can use the search function yeah and are you finding then by adding stuff you're almost birthing new topics or new things that come out of putting so much in one umbrella or tag or topic Mm. or theme that you're like oh actually this is three different themes not just one anymore yes exactly so that's definitely what happened with the book as well like it was the proposal for the book was really detailed and so it was a great starting point and I knew how to start categorizing and archiving the material but then I was once I started to actually write and sift through the material that I had I could see that things were either could be condensed or expanded and or put in different sections and things like that so that's definitely what's happening at the moment with that ideas board it's getting quite Mm -hmm. unwieldy so I think the next thing for me to think about is what I want to do with that ideas board but they're just collecting and sitting there waiting at the moment yeah (laughs) And how do you curate what to read? Because again, taking the breadth of examples, and that's one of the things I did just really enjoy about the book is that it just brings in quotes and anecdotes and examples and stories from all these different areas rather than just quite the narrow productivity hacks and quotes and other books and references, which we see quite often, unfortunately, in a lot of other nonfiction. So how do you curate what to read when there's just so much available? That's a really good question because I'm wondering if I do. I... I'm not very, once I make a demand for myself, I become demand resistant to that demand. So if I had a set (laughs) list um, 
this is turning into a therapy session, isn't it? <laughs> I'll send you an invoice afterwards. <laughs> if I um, said, say, like a 2020 to read list, I would not read anything that I've set for that list. <laughs> so I, I really have to be like many things that I need want to do in my day. It has to be driven by desire and delight and a, a want to. And so that means that my reading habits can be really ad hoc, again, like my routine. And so I go through really, I think I get quite intense and I can read, sometimes I'm reading like two books a week and then sometimes I'm not reading for, as, as I said with this last year, I think, oh, my reading habits were very, very, very minimal. In fact, I the main thing that I read was rereading something that I've already read before. So it was just mm. really needing to switch off from that. And so curating really is just by desire, I think, and, and mm. what I'm drawn to because I won't, um, I'm not very good at forcing myself to do something if I'm not <laughs> feeling a desire to do it. So yeah, I think that it's um, variety perhaps is what keeps things delightful too. So I do have quite a mix of nonfiction, which I will typically read on a Kindle and then fiction, which I like to read as a hard copy mm. and often borrow from libraries. And then I read a lot of poetry online. So, so, so I've subscribed to a lot of poetry newsletters. Mm. And so I think that a lot of themes come through poetry perhaps. And yeah, you can really devour it because one poem leads to another poem. I like that, that follow, almost following the breadcrumbs and actually using that as yeah. the guide rather than the, right, where do I start? Starting from that blank sheet of paper. Yeah, exactly. Fiction is often curated by recommendations through other people mm. and then nonfiction is often curated through who I might be wanting to interview as well mm, um, course, and yeah. then I re- read their body of work. <laughs> yeah. So how do you decide what to stop reading? If you don't, if you have more of a rule around desire, maybe it's actually the same, just two sides of the same coin, but mm. do you have a bit of a, you know, a sentence, a, I'd say a rule, but probably not given what you've just said about you know your own setting of rules, <laughs> but do you have a, a guideline for yourself or anything about when to just go, no, I've either got what I need to out of this piece of writing or you know, whether, mm-hmm. whether that's an essay, an article or a, a you know, book, or when you just think, actually, I'm just not enjoying this enough. Yeah, well, I I don't know where I got this from, but I once heard like give a book 50 pages to see if it's really for you. So I kind of keep that in my mind, especially with fiction, I think I give it 50 pages or if someone's told me to persevere with it, then I'll trust that. Mm. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give it a, a decent chance. And if it's nonfiction, if I'm not resonating with it, I'll often just, just switch over to skimming it just in case there is any any themes and you can often just do that through the, the contents page and check out anything that might be worthwhile or what you're drawn to. I think nonfiction's a lot easier to just can p- potentially flick through and get any central ideas that you mm. might need or even just switch and listen to a few conversations about it just to, to check if there is anything that you want to delve into. But but fiction can be harder. But again, I'll sort of give it the 50 page rule and see. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I've heard actually with that same with that nonfiction piece. I've had few people actually who have done been on the the judging panels for various nonfiction books or book awards, and they say the same. Actually, you don't often have to read a whole nonfiction. You can read the kind of the beginning, the end, and then scan some of the middle debate based on using the table of contents to do that. And I remember mm. when someone first when I first heard that from someone, I just thought, but how can you tell if the book is good? I was really like I was taken aback <laughs> and slightly offended by the idea that they wouldn't read the whole book if they were going to judge it for these these awards. But actually, the more I've read nonfiction, I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, that does that does make complete sense. The thing I think it misses sometimes is, particularly if you're judging it rather than if you're just trying to use it. I think that's there's two two quite different use cases almost of a book. But around if it's got so much, you know, there's a lot of nonfiction that's got so much filler in it. I just think mm. you would miss that 
And that's probably a good thing for your own benefit if you're skimming it. But actually, in terms of judging it, then do you miss actually what's making it not that good? Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's that's poor judgment potentially on, potentially. on their part. But then also but, good if you're actually trying to just get the, the bits of the book. like the that's, gist. that's great. Yeah, yeah, getting the bits. And I find that when you do that, like with mine, I've, I've in the introduction, I've said, pick it up and put it down and dip mm. in and dip out and use the contents page to like say that you are struggling with perfectionism, then go to that chapter and you might scan it or you might start to really become immersed in it and, and it's speaking to you and that's lovely and then you can swim around in the words and it's mm. there for you in that moment. Um, so I, I find that sometimes you can do that. You can, you're, you're dipping in and then you're suddenly finding yourself engaged and immersed and that's a beautiful thing. So yeah. Yeah. And I think with yours as well, because it's almost like a, and more slightly more essay style than a lot of nonfiction as well. So it means you can dip in and dip out in a in a bit of a different way where you can like I think immerse is a nice way of describing it because it, it's quite a gentle immersion rather than maybe some other non-fictions where you'd go into chapter five because that's the bit that appeals to you. Be like, well, hang on, how did I get here and why am I here? And mm, what's the yes. what's the context in the rest of it? Whereas I think yours flows slightly differently because of it's it's a more writerly style than maybe a subject matter expert style in very inverted commas. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, that's what I yeah, aimed for. Thank you for noticing. That's okay. <laughs> I think as well, yeah, as someone who reads obviously a lot of nonfiction, it that is such a stark difference as well to a lot of other nonfiction for that reason. So uh, it's yeah, definitely written by a writer as opposed to written by a talk in, in the other podcast where I talk about your book and talk about how there's, I find that there's nonfiction written by journalists, which is quite different. Mm-hmm style in itself and then there's also non-fiction written by scientists and there's also non-fiction written by sort of more subject matter experts or practitioners and how they've all got a bit of a different sense but yours is actually almost a fourth one in, it, in its own right around by a writer which means it's mm. yeah that's like different flowing narrative rather than stops and starts yes yes you can tell that you're a well-read reader <laughs> thanks got these excellent so probably got one last question as we draw to a bit of a close so you said earlier about how you sort of stopped reading or paused reading as, as certainly or certainly as much while you're re- uh, writing the book because of the input as you emerge out of the I say emerge out maybe it feels like you've been spat out <laughs> the other side of, <laughs> of writing a book how have you re- ignited your reading habit or what you're reading are you finding actually you're finding yourself more pulled towards certain types of writing or writers or things you want to read rather than maybe two years ago before you started the book and when the world was probably in a slightly different place as well yes yeah I I definitely feel this hunger for fiction and so that's that's where I think reading for pleasure I've done so much reading for work be it for podcast interviews, which is still a labor of love, but mm. it's it's for a um, work purpose or research or trying to sort of look for answers even to my own quandaries. Whereas I just want to have the the pleasure of reading and stories and character and plot. So I'm, I'm very drawn to fiction, and I suppose very I I, I have. I'm starting to dance around an idea for a second book and so I'm, I'm drawn to material around that as well. So I guess there's a little bit of that research coming back in to it too. But as I said, I just the, the latest book I've read was rereading The Women Who Run With the Wolves mm. um, by Clarissa Pinkola Estes and 
I read that seven years ago and it was the impetus to start all of my creative projects. My project Extraordinary Routines really came from reconnecting with my curiosity and creativity, which is I think what this book does so beautifully. It's sort of a lovely companion to the artist's way in many senses. I was about to ask that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so I picked it up again seven years later and I feel like it's, again, sparking new curiosities and, and taking me onto a different path. And so I reread it and it was lovely because I could see the underlines of 25-year-old me and what I was drawn to then and then I could underline it again this time and be drawn to completely different themes. And so I just kind of went through and it's, it's got beautiful fables and Jungian psychoanalysis archetypes all through it. So just trying to kind of sit with those, again, very rich stories like the red shoes, the ugly duckling, um, blue beard, and just kind of trying to um, untangle those things. And yeah, just kind of just pleasure and curiosity is what I want to be driven by. Wow. There we go. I, yeah, fantastic. And I love that you're, you heard it here first as well, that you're thinking about a second book as well. So that's amazing. And yeah. what a nice way of rereading. Rereading is something I'm just really not very good at because I'm like, nope, done with that. Move on. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But so I do, when I, whenever I hear people talk about rereading, especially that's such a beautiful example as well of being able to read and actually see who you were when you read it the first time by the, yeah. what you underlined and what resonated and things. Yeah. It's a reminder that maybe that's actually, it's not the waste of time that sometimes I see it as, but actually it can be quite enriching in, in a different way. Yeah, I think so. Mm, nice. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for that extra bit of clickbait at the end as well around that you're you're thinking about a second book or starting to think about a second book. So Yeah, very mysterious, it isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you started with how you, you know, clickbait people into wanting to find out more about what you write about and you've ended with one as well. So we've gone full circle. <laughs> yes, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned indeed. Here we go. We'll, we'll definitely be doing a part two, I think, when when that one is is birthed too. That would be beautiful. So thank you so much, Madeline, for joining me and the other members of the Bookmark community. It is I'm such a fan of what you do and and how you think and how you write and and the projects that you pull together and the way you bring people along that journey as well. So. Thank you for bringing your work to to the masses and to the people and to me as well in some ways. So, and thank you for joining this conversation. Oh, thank you, Steph. In that moment, I just felt so well read by you as a person. So that's just a testament to how beautifully you read books and people and see people and the work that you do to um, to give value to people is just also very admirable. So right back at you and thank you for chatting with me. Thanks.